Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So there's a really good movie out right now called The Atom Project, and it stars Ryan Reynolds, and it's about a guy who travels back in time. And it's a very enjoyable movie, and I kind of had to ask myself why we all love time travel movies so much. And I think it has to do with the concept of us being able to revise history in some way. Now, usually in any kind of time travel movie, the people who are doing the time traveling are concerned that any changes they make will alter the course of history. And we've heard this, you know, since Back to the Future and before that. And so it is very interesting, though, because I think that on some level, that's a conversation that I have with clients a lot is like, well, if I could go back and I could have said something to that bully or I can go back and tell this person off or I can go back and somehow change things so that my mom would love me more, any of that, people are constantly thinking about how if some piece of their history were different, if their outcome would have been different. And so I think that this is why we love these movies so much. But as I sort of thought about this movie, I realized that it's all about this situation where Ryan Reynolds gets to meet his younger, I believe, 12-year-old self and talk to him and talk to him about sort of how things turned out when he didn't do this or he did that. And so it's a very interesting concept that I believe we can all relate to. Now, in the world of trauma, and the vast majority of the work that I do in my practice has to do with trauma and has to do with looking at memories. The brain does this sort of time travel thing also. So the most common example of this would be a soldier who had been in combat and comes back to their normal life after having experienced combat. And then the 4th of July fireworks trigger them. And what happens in this situation is the brain does not go, oh, I'm safe now. This is the 4th of July. Everything's okay. Just because it sounds like combat sounds, like the sounds of bullets or bombs, doesn't mean that that's what it is. I'm safe, everything's okay. Now, the logical side of the brain may be able to say that, but the emotional side of the brain experiences the time travel part. The emotional side of the brain does not distinguish that was then and this is now. The emotional side of the brain says, oh my gosh, duck, hide, get away, this is horrible. It's happening all over again, and I'm in the middle of it. And this is true for anybody who's experienced any kind of trauma 
And so I've said it before, I take issue with the overuse of the word trigger. Trigger is not just any time that a person feels uncomfortable. Getting up in front of a crowd and saying a speech that you're nervous about, that's not a trigger. That's being uncomfortable in a difficult situation. A trigger, in fact, is when your brain does that time travel thing and it experiences something in the environment. Maybe it's a noise, maybe it's a circumstance, maybe it's a person. Your brain experiences that now and travels back in time to the time in your life when you were first traumatized by a similar experience. And that depends on when your trauma occurred. If your trauma occurred at a very young age, your brain will go back to that emotional age that you were. And the way that you recognize this is you don't see your adult self handling the situation. You find yourself running away or hiding or crying or throwing a tantrum or being unable to speak. And you surprise yourself. Boy, I just handled that like a little kid. And really what happened was you got triggered and your younger self showed up to deal with the trigger. You time traveled. So we watch these movies like The Adam Project, and it's sort of like a fantasy come true where somebody gets to go back in time and tell their younger self what to do and what happened when they did or did not do certain things. You know, we've heard that saying, if I only knew then what I know now. And so The Adam Project is actually a movie in which the main character gets to do that. He gets to go back and talk to his 12-year-old self. Now, this is fantastic because, boy, wouldn't we all do that? If we knew then what we know now, we would definitely take the opportunity to go back and talk to our younger selves. Now, the younger part of us doesn't go anywhere. That part of us, the younger part of us, whether I'm talking about the traumatized younger child inside of you or just the kid inside of you, we all still have these parts inside of us. They don't go anywhere. They become a part of our personality. And there will be times where you'll be damn glad to have that inner child because as an adult, you can still play and you can still enjoy play. And that would not be possible without the existence of the inner child. Now, most people find that the inner child shows up when it's very inconvenient, like in the middle of a confrontation with your boss and you freeze or run away or hide or cry even. And so what ends up happening is 
we start to resent that younger part of ourselves because we didn't step up to the plate. We didn't act like the adult that we are. And we get mad at ourselves for not handling every single situation like a competent and mature adult. Now, to take it even a step further, I will be doing trauma work with adults and going through the horrible traumas that someone endured as a child. And let's say, for example, that somebody was physically abused growing up. And we will go back there and remember that time. And a lot of times people will immediately get mad at themselves. I should have stood up to that large man who was my father. I should have told him off. I should have walked away. I should have run away. I should have hit back. Whatever it is, we always expect our younger selves to have behaved like an adult. It's like we all consider ourselves to be Ralphie from A Christmas Story. So if you've seen this old movie, A Christmas Story, Ralphie is a kid who just wants a BB gun for Christmas and all the adults in his life tell him that it's a bad idea and he's going to shoot his eye out and yada, yada, yada. So what's interesting about this movie is that Ralphie is like the only person in the entire movie who ever actually appears to be sane and mature. And even as he's standing in line waiting for Santa because he's decided that this is his only choice, he's going to have to ask Santa. And he's still not even sure if he even believes in Santa, but this is his last effort to get somebody to get him this BB gun. And so he's waiting in line and there's some goofy kid in front of him and the goofy kid is talking about being happy to see Santa and then people in Wizard of Oz costumes come out and say hello to the children. And this little boy in front of him is saying like how he likes the Wizard of Oz. And then the Wicked Witch of the West comes up to Ralphie and Ralphie says to her, uh, don't bother me, I'm thinking. As he's standing there in what basically appears to be a three-piece suit, he's got a coat, a jacket, slacks, a vest and a tie on and a button down shirt. And, you know, certainly it's appropriate for the time frame that the movie is supposed to take place in, but it just sort of adds to the idea that the only mature adult in this movie is this kid who wants the BB gun. And I think that we all think of our childhood selves as being like Ralphie. Like we had all the answers, like we were assertive, like we knew what we wanted, like we just needed to run the show and everything would be okay. If the adults would have just listened to us, everything would have been okay. And a lot of times, you know, it's like a lot of times people don't even recognize that when they were going through whatever troubles they were going through as a child, they actually were a child. They were four years old, five years old, seven years old. However old they were, they were a kid. And, the, and kids of this age group only have so much in the way of emotional coping skills 
and kids in this age group only have so much in the way of physical ability. But yet again, we are always telling ourselves, I should have stood up, I should have said something, I should have hit back, whatever it is, we always expect our childhood self to have behaved as an adult. And that's true when we watch this movie, The Adam Project, is that Ryan Reynolds is having this conversation with his younger self, and he is completely frustrated with how this 12-year-old is just not getting it. He's giving him all the answers. He's telling him what's going to happen in the future. And this kid just doesn't get it because his brain is that of a 12-year-old boy. And his body is limited in its size. And so it's just a really interesting story about actually what goes on inside of our brains just about every day. And so a lot of people hate the inner child. A lot of people try to ignore the inner child. When the inner child feels afraid, people will often get mad at themselves and try to suck it up and ignore that fear because that's childish and I shouldn't be afraid in this situation. What's wrong with me? I just need to get rid of that part of me. And that is typically the solution that people come to, is they feel the inner child and they reject the inner child and they wish that they could just make it go away. But the inner child is a part of our personalities and your inner child is not going anywhere. So it's better to just make friends and heal. So there's another interesting movie out right now. It's actually a documentary called Return to Space. And it's about SpaceX. And basically what happened is somewhere along the way, the government was no longer going to fund the NASA program. And the idea was that Elon Musk was someone who was willing to invest in keeping the space program going. And it ended up causing a debate about whether billionaires should be involved in funding a space program. If people who have so much money, if companies are going to invest in the space program, what will that mean? Does that mean that they are suddenly in charge of all of it, that they make decisions about it? And so it became a debate. And what happens in this documentary is there's an interview that took place um, with Elon Musk on 60 Minutes before SpaceX actually did take it over. And it was this moment when he learned that people were actually opposed to his funding a space program. And it's probably not too terribly surprising that Congress would have issues and debate and politicians would get involved and that kind of thing. 
but they also had Neil Armstrong of Apollo 11 and Gene Cernan of Apollo 17, two astronauts who were heroes to Elon Musk, who came forward and said, we don't like the idea of Mr. Big Bucks here funding a space program. And they spoke out against it. And so during this interview with Elon Musk, he's having to face the idea that these two people who were his childhood heroes were opposed to him funding the program. And this is how the interview went. Very sad to see that um, because those guys are, yeah. You know, those guys are heroes of mine, so it's really tough. They inspired you to do this, didn't they? Yes. And to see them casting stones in your direction. It's difficult. You know, I, I wish they would come and visit and, and see what we're doing here. And, and I think that would change their mind. Now, just listening to that, it sounds like Elon Musk is using his adult voice and having an adult conversation with someone who's interviewing him. But in reality, he's actually quite teary-eyed and, and chokes up a little bit as he's talking about how his childhood heroes didn't understand him and were opposed. And the idea is, well, if they would just come and visit, maybe I could change their mind. And so I think that that is his inner child feeling hurt. You know, he had finally gotten to a place in his life where he thought he could actually meet his heroes and maybe please his heroes. And this was what he got instead. And it was painful for his inner child. So in getting back to the idea about trauma, that when you are triggered in the present and your brain goes back to an emotional time, right? Because usually our logic is still intact. Usually our understanding of situations is still intact. Elon Musk knew as an adult, understood logically, of course, that this was sort of a normal response in a situation that was filled with a lot of bureaucracy to begin with. And so I'm sure his adult self understood that this was not terribly surprising. But the emotional side of him, the side of him that felt hurt, and sad, and I believe he used the word sad, was his little boy. And so this is kind of how it works. A lot of times our logical side and our emotional side will not be on the same page. And the good news is the logic is there. We can sort of talk ourselves through. We do have this adult part of ourself who can talk to us, just like Ryan Reynolds was the adult 
who had the logic, who could talk to the kid. But the emotional side, that is the child inside of us. And if you think about the age you were at the time that you felt trauma in your life, whatever was going on, and we're not talking about stuff that happened later in the teen years, we're talking about elementary age stuff. And you remember things that happened that were very, very difficult for you emotionally. Well, you had the coping skills of a child in order to deal with it. And if we look at our younger selves, say for example, four years old, you would not in real life watch a four-year-old child go through some kind of traumatic event and then immediately turn to them and say, suck it up, kid, get over it, move on. We got stuff to do, right? You would have compassion for that four-year-old child. And maybe you would sit next to them and hug them and hold them and tell them that, that things are gonna be all right comfort them in some way but we don't do that with ourselves we recognize that little kid coming out inside of us us time traveling back to that time and we get mad or we try to ignore that child and every time that we do that we're kind of causing more damage in a sense. I mean, it's not making it worse for you. You're, you know, you've been through your traumas, but it's not part of healing to go back and berate that little kid who's in a lot of pain. And so this is where you can dial into the other parts of your personality. Dialing into that part of you who maybe is a good, dog mom or cat dad or something like that, where you have this nurturing capacity and empathy for small creatures, right? For creatures who can't defend themselves, for creatures who can't speak up for themselves. Or maybe if to have children of your own, you can remember when your kid was that age and how you handled their emotional struggles at that time. Whatever it is inside of you that is the loving parent is the one who needs to show up for that little kid inside of you who is still hurt. And if you can listen, and I mean listen, to the fears, to the sadness, to all the things that that little child is going through and not try to say things like, you know, get over it or it will get better. That's not helpful. But to just listen and be there and be loving towards that inner child, towards that little boy or that little girl, and just be the nurturer that you would have needed yourself during that time, then you can find your way to healing. And this is tough. And I call this varsity level healing, to be able to look inside yourself 
see the child who is in pain, empathize with that child, and love that child. When you can do that, you are on your way to making the future all that it should be because you're healing the past, because you're time traveling, because you're providing the nurturing that was needed at that time for yourself. Good luck on your journey back in time and back to the future. Be well and thank you for listening.